Thanks, Denise. I know everybody's itching and beside themselves and on the edge of their seats, just dying to know how um, L5S1 got on in their first uh, inaugural basketball match on uh, on Monday night. I think it's fair to say that it probably didn't go to plan. Um, We lost. Uh, 35 to 37 to 15 or something like that, uh, which wouldn't be too bad if it wasn't for the fact that we're only playing against four players and there's eight of us, but only six of us by the time the game finished because uh, two of our star recruits uh, tore a hamstring and snapped an Achilles tendon. So hamstring's okay, I'm upright. And Ben is recovering from surgery today. He got operated on. Ben Saywood was operated on yesterday. Had his Achilles tendon attached back to his whatever they attach Achilles tendon to and is at home uh, immobile for the next 10 days. So um, be praying for that boy. That was an expensive game of basketball he played the other night. Brand new set of wheels. Uh, Anyway, I I don't know why I think that's funny. It's not... (laughs) not funny at all. So you're looking for new players? <laughs> <laughs> no, our team's full of jets. Our, our, one of our boom recruits has just come back in. He's been on overseas duties and is now flown back into the country and we right to go on Monday, so that's great. Enough of that. Um, hey, we are, we've been in our, in our, um, our value series and as Tim said, we're around the tables and discussing that. And, and this is the last, the last one in the series. This morning we are looking at our, our last value, and that is uh, motivated for multiplication. This is that we are lovingly motivated. It's not a forceful motivation. It's, it's this loving motiva- motivation that comes out of our own experience, out of our own encounter with Christ, to, to, into the mission of making disciples, more people who... Who, who love Jesus, who will then share that same motive, that same encounter. These people would have an intimate, non-going, deepening relationship with God that is secured in, in the truth of his word and pours out of us in worship. That's what we're looking for, people who have encountered Christ, who know that it's real because it's, it's, it, the truth of it has come out of the scriptures to them and, and as that transforms their hearts, then the, then the outworking of that is worship and transformed lives. And one of those transformations is that we would become disciples. kind of makes sense seeing that our, our, our vision and our mission here is knowing Jesus and making him known so that we have come to know Jesus and now our lives are orientated around making him known. We've got a little phrase that we put to that. It's a new way to live. I want to tell you a story, do a little bit of reminiscing. I know I've told this story before, but um, we'll, we'll just kind of see how we go. When I was a kid living in northeast Victoria in a location known as Ben Valley, well, it's not really a town, it's more of a space, a few houses connected by some dirt roads, and that, it's a sort of satellite suburb of Yakandanda, if you like, just about 30k south of Wodonga. We're living out there as kids. We would, just, we would get home from school and uh, just run inside, smash down a box of wheat bix or, or whatever we had on, on, on the counter there and then just disappear into something known as the outside. <laughs> and we would be in this strange environment until it got dark 
and our mum wasn't stressed about it or anything like that. At least I was thinking about this this morning. She wasn't stressed about it from my perspective. Like, but as I've kind of had kids now, I think, no, maybe she was and we weren't aware of it. We didn't have things like phones or electric devices and that. All we had uh, to keep our worlds alive was this thing called an imagination. So, two young brothers, Matt and I and our mates, outside with our imaginations, no regulations, no one going, hey, that's dangerous, that could kill you, don't blow that up, don't climb up that, I don't think Mrs. Jones' cat wants to be put into that container, whatever. (laughs) What could go wrong? It was a world without limits and our experience of it was regulated by our imaginations and driven by a desire to be involved in a bigger story. Like we just get home from school and we're like, school's lame, Let's. what can we do? Uh, where can we be? We lived also in another thing called the 80s. Back then the world was coming, uh, back then uh, like the whole conversation was the world was going to end in a nuclear holocaust, and I think it went from that to the ozone layer or whatever, but our, our words were about this nuclear holocaust, a world war, uh, would, would the Russians come and invade and all this kind of stuff. Living as a kid in the dwindling shadow of the Cold War uh, had brought to us this, this, this narrative of adventure that we could get into. And it played out in our generation through movies like Red Dawn. I don't know if you're familiar. They tried to do a repeat of it, but it was no good. Uh, but the original was great. We, we loved that movie and what it represented. Just, you know, invasion, kids jumping into a ute, guns, food, into the hills, uh, hiding out up there. And then that we would become the rescuers of, of society and civilization as we as we fought back against these invading forces. And we, did this, we didn't just kind of live in a dream world about this. We, we put practical application around this. We had tunnels and forts and armories scattered throughout the valley in which we lived in. We could be fully armed with things like clay bombs and homemade mortars and slingshots, uh, pretty weird and wonderful uh, homemade weapons. If you were silly enough to chase us like in our imagination silly enough to chase us down into the creek where most of our forts were like you'd be met with all kinds of stuff we'd run in there and light a heap of fires that had aerosol cans hidden in them and stuff like that so as we got to safety you'd run through and boom 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 um traps pits with spikes in it you name it we'd done it we dreamed of being a part of something bigger than ourselves of taking part in some sort of grand heroic mission drawn into a great battle. Mainly, most of our planning was about taking down the school bus and stopping that. (laughs) But we were like every other human being that walks the planet. We had this restlessness in us to be a part of something greater than ourselves. And that took place in the shape of, in us, in the idea that we could be involved in in a rebellion against invading forces, reclaiming Ben Valley, uh, our lost homeland. We lived lives of grand adventures in our imaginations. These days we don't go outside. And yet without a doubt we're the most entertained cultured generation in human history, at least in the Western context. Granted, you're not allowed to blow anything up anymore. and People are still fairly opposed to... um, 
being cruel to cats. <laughs> Nevertheless, there's more to do in this generation. There's more to see. We have never been so connected, never had so much entertainment at the end of our fingertips, and yet, with all our phones, with all our laptops, with all our devices, with all our cinemas, with all these movies that flood our screens, all these virtual experiences, we are the most bored generations. And we are bored quickly. And we are dissatisfied quickly. Uh, he's not in here at the moment, so I can talk about him. Don't tell him. Uh, Lockie, I, I, I watch him if he gets away from his computer. He, he's walking in circles, so not know what to do with himself. Like, What's up, mate? I'm bored. Good, sit in that space. We are quickly dissatisfied. We long, we long for something greater than ourselves. We long to be a part of some great undertaking, some great rescue or even romance that will change our world. We long to be a part of a great mission. That's why we do, that's why we love to go and, 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 and get lost in movies, get lost in in, in online games, in, in epic love stories. It's what has actually made Marvel the most successful movie franchise in, in history. Uh, it's even eclipsed Star Wars, which is also another, another great narrative of, of, of great adventure. Every single time. Matt Chandler makes this observation. Like kids... Creating and competing in afternoon conquests. That what we, that's what we were. We still want to be involved in bigger undertakings, bigger challenges, bigger things that make a bigger difference. We long for a grand mission. One of the great writers of fiction and fantasy, of adventure, was uh, John R. R. Tolkien. He wrote a relatively popular, relatively well-known story based around Middle Earth called The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings which uh, also became a box office movie hit. He, he was having a conversation with his good friend C.S. Lewis and Tolkien made this point. The reason we want to be a part of something bigger is because God has imprinted this on our souls. It's a design spec of being human. That we're not created just to sit around lamely doing nothing. We are created to be engaged. We are created to be involved. We are created to be on mission to be doing something grand. We are made to be a part of God's unfolding story of, of His glory. That's the grand mission. That's the great thing that we could be engaged in, involved in. That's the picture we get from Genesis, at least. God created us to go and to multiply His glory by staying connected to Him and building families and cities and cultures and ruling this earth as ambassadors, as kings. That's the language, the image bearer created in His image. It's a kingly role. It's an ambassador's role. Uh, it's the language of, of like a living statue uh, moving uh, throughout the, the, the earth, imaging God. But it all went tragically wrong when sin entered the world through an uprising a rebellion. We, we wanted to uh, image ourselves. We wanted to set what the grand mission would be. And we said this grand mission is actually about what we want to do, how we want to roll. And it fractured everything. It sent everything into chaos and disorder. And the ambassadors and the storytellers became insurrectionists and rebels, glory thieves. 
and the one that was created to speak and reveal what the character of God is like now still continues as his ambassador, still as the image bearer of God with all the access and all the authority that he had. But the character that went on display was a corrupted one, was a false one, was one based on self, not on God. And so a false and misleading understanding of God emerged out of humanity's activities. And don't we hear it all the time? The understanding of God has been actually distorted by our own activities. You hear people saying, how can there be a God when there's so much war? How can there be a God when, you know, there's child abuse? Well, we're on the wrong mission. And while the first offense of rejecting God as our creator brought sin into the world and into our experience, the second offense, that is that we are now telling our own story, continues to reinforce our commitment to the first. We reject God. We want to write our own mission. We want to write our own stories. So every single person convicts themselves that they live in this way and in a way that God has uh, um, decided, uh, well-thought-out decision, one a hissy fit, Deserves his wrath, deserves his condemnation. The rebellion, the uprising, deserves punishment. But rather than execute that wrath in its totality, God had a rescue plan to restore his glory in which he would send a redeemer who would come and lead a rebellion against the rebellion. This person we know, we understand to be Jesus. There is no greater battle, no greater love story than the redemptive drama of God pursuing a rebellious creation, hell-bent on self-destruction. There is no greater climax to any story ever written than the story of God's love and justice revealed in Jesus Christ, taking hold in our lives and renewing it with eternal purpose. Again, Matt Chandler says, whether we know it or not, The biggest something of all, the greatest epic the universe will ever know is the unfolding drama of God reconciling all things to himself in Christ. And here is the amazing thing that God is doing. He is calling each one of us who have been reconciled in Christ to participate in that story, in that drama. Not to be its hero, but to be a part of the cast as his ambassadors once again with a new story to tell of recreation found in Jesus. Everything that was broken, everything that was banged up by sin, everything that was corrupted by sin and been destroyed by it is now being made new as it connects itself to Christ. There's a recreation and we are being remade as the new, not perfect, but new restored image bearers of God. And this is the story of the love of God towards sinners that we are to be proclaiming. 
At the end of Matthew's Gospel, and Matthew's Gospel is this historic account that takes in the whole meta-narrative of what God is doing. And what it does is it says everything along the way that, that, that hoped for and pointed to the restoration and, and the restoring of, rebel, of rebels has now been fulfilled and now seen in this person who we call Jesus. God with us. And all that the Old Testament pointed to and longed for and anticipated was, was, was revealed in Jesus. God's salvation, God's response to sin. And now at the end of this book, Jesus stands before his disciples raised from the dead and tells them that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. It's a claim of absolute authority to be God. Like through Jesus' life, there were hints, there were, there, there, there were signs that he had authority in Jesus' life. He, 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 he healed and cured blindness and leprosy and sickness, paraplegia, mental illnesses, and he, did, he just spoke and it happened. Just like he spoke and the universe came into being. He released oppression by just speaking words. He said to Storm, stop, and they did. He said to a dead man, hey, stop being dead, get up, come out. And he did. That's what happened. And now, Jesus is standing before them and saying, do you know, the limitations that applied throughout my ministry on earth, like he had, he, he did all of that, and yet he was still limited in what he could do. Jesus is now saying, those limitations are gone. They no longer apply. Things have gone back to the, where they were when, when I was the eternal world that created the universe, when I sat beside the Father in all my glory. God has restored my glory. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. That's what a man who raises himself from death can claim. He can claim to be God. So, it really doesn't matter what Jesus says next. After saying that, he could say, I want you to stand in the corner, turn purple or into an elephant, and you would go and do it after that statement. You just push all your chips in and you obey it. You do everything you can to live in accordance with whatever comes out of the mouth of Jesus next if you acknowledge that all authority in heaven and earth is his. The sovereign king of the universe says to us, to the apostles, and in, by extension to us, Go make disciples. Take the experience of knowing me and multiply that in others. Retell this story. Teach them what I've told you. Sound doctrine. Transform their hearts. Persuade them of the truth of it. The only adjustment or the only readjustment that you need to make to pull this off is the one that I've made in you. You used to regard me perhaps as just a man, but now you understand that I am the grace of God that reconciles people back to God in fullness of life. Like in, in our reading, Paul says, we once regarded Jesus according to the flesh, like we viewed him as just a man. We didn't really understand him until the Spirit of God got hold of us and said, no, that's God. Come to die for your sin and reconcile you back into life. That's, that's what Paul's getting at. So now, understanding this, as you go, the words just go, but it's a better translation to say as you go. As you go through the normal rhythms of life, as you go about your lives in the various environments that you move in, make disciples. Now, the apostles were going to go and plant churches and write scripture and do all that, but us, we're, we're going to work, we're doing our jobs. 
Go and share the story of God's love to us in Jesus. For the disciples, they received this from Jesus himself. That's why they're apostles. That's why they're qualified as apostles. But we encountered this command in, in, in the word of God. It comes to us from the apostles. Uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We encounter Jesus in this truth and we hear the same command to go and make disciples. So listen. Discipling is not, hey, come and look at me. Let me tell you all about myself. Discipling is, hey, come and look at my Jesus. Come and let me tell you about the one I encountered in the word of God. We are not the hero. Jesus is the hero of disciple making. Now here's how it played out in my life and I I know I've told you this story before. I'm a Christian today because other Christians have lived out this command to go and and make disciples in the normal rhythms of their lives. I had a mum who constantly prayed for me and and sought to always be defining life and its events through, through the reality of the gospel, through a gospel-based reality. It's a tough go when you're a single mum and you're raising four kids who are by and large angry, confused and dysfunctional and, and, and kind of at war with the world. And, and out of all the four kids, I was probably the one who was at war with the world the most. I was just an angry kid, angry toward my mum, angry toward my dad. I was the kind of kid who punched holes in the walls of our house, who went to school just looking for couple. I was particularly angry that God, this God that my neighbours spoke about, allowed me to grow up in this abusive environment, this broken home. But my mum, she just graciously kept putting God before us. And I grew up hearing about a God who loved me. Unfortunately, my experience of life Worked hard against that reality. But into the playing field, not just my mum, came other people who no longer regarded me according to the flesh, as Paul writes. They didn't view me as this dysfunctional, crazy juvenile who should go to prison. They viewed me as somebody who could come alive if only, if only I knew Jesus. And they're just going about their business, going about their lives with a gospel mindset, carrying the story, stop, of Jesus. A family friend who grabbed me, and he he just took me out into a paddock and put me to work. He set me up a windmill to fix a windmill. I had no idea what I was doing, but what he was doing was creating an environment where we could just talk and I didn't feel like I was being interrogated. He told me that God is not indifferent. Or unconcerned with my story. That God's the kind of God who, who knows us intimately. And has come in person that we might know him. Nothing too heavy. Just biblical truth about the gospel. He's, he's just talking to me out of Hebrews. You see, putting it into common language. He was teaching me sound doctrine about God in relational ways. That's what discipleship is. It's not necessarily going, hey, you read the book of Hebrews? But having a conversation about it. when I push back and go, oh, what a load of bikes, he said, hey, no, look, it's, it's right here. Hey, read this. And then a mate, but this guy, this, this guy, he's a little bit like the early followers of Jesus in John's Gospels. He didn't have all the words, 
But he knew someone who did. So he invites me to come along to a Bible study. It says, it says something like that. You know, there's some good-looking girls there. You know, some Christians have the, no morals. Some Christians have got no ethics. Uh, we don't promote that here. But he comes with me and he encourages me. I go to this Bible study and then I meet this other man, Ian Sproul. Ratterbrook, tough as nails bricklayer, who had his own amazing story of survival, of survival out of World War II, you know, fighting five years, whatever, behind enemy lines, prisoner of war camp, fighting with the partisans, and climbed over Mount Blanc, all this stuff. But his greatest story had nothing to do with any of his heroics. His greatest story was that he himself had been rescued by Jesus. And every week he would open his Bible and tell us about God and, and teach us sound doctrine. And one day, just out the front of his house, he said to me, Hey, what, what are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing about Jesus? Like, the question's got to come. I think he had mixed motives because I kind of liked his daughter. And he was, I think he wanted me to be saved, but he kind of wanted his daughter saved too. I don't know. You see, people... These people are in the normal rhythms of their life. They carried the gospel, the story of God's love in Jesus with them. And they spoke it into the lives of people as it was appropriate. And as they did, the Holy Spirit picked the right time to do... I love this phrase that Augustine has. I don't know, mate. Could be. No, it's not too bad. Go to that, Tim. I love his phrase that Augustine had. It does a gentle violence on my soul and my heart. Not another person around. Didn't walk down an aisle. Didn't say a sinner's prayer. Just had my heart melted by God so that I now felt affection for him rather than hatred. I was now a friend rather than an enemy. I was now a worshipper rather than someone who shook their fist in rage. It's God's play for one life, one soul. And all these different characters are coming in and out at various scenes of the drama. What were they doing? They're making disciples. They were planning the story of Jesus into the life of another person who they no longer regarded according to the flesh, didn't judge by what they saw, but what I could become. They were participating in the greatest epic drama of human history. And in God's grace... He uses people who have been captured by the gospel, who have experienced their own encounter with Christ as ambassadors of this glorious new life to point people to what God is doing in people's lives through Jesus. Now, that's not the end of the story. That's not where discipleship ends. It doesn't end when somebody steps over a line or says some sinner's prayers. God's pursuit of my heart still went on. If anything, this is just the beginning. So making disciples, as I said, it's not an event. It's, it's, it's ongoing relationships with other Christians. Relationships take 
effort. Relationships take sacrifice. When Paul says, we're we, we trying to persuade you, he's not, he's not saying we've got you down the ground, we're beating you. He's saying we're working hard. Night and day, we're in this. We're in this relationship. Into, into my story came a lad called Steve Jarlett, who took hold of us, just a few young Christians, and formed a Bible study. And we, we could just ask whatever question we like. Like any, any questions we had. And we just sat there with the Word of God and we just explored it. What was he doing? He's making disciples. He's, he's, he's continuing the work. He's, he's deepening the relationship we have with other Christians and with Jesus. He's pushing us into the world because this discipling is not some abstract idea. It's based in truth. It's based in the word of God. You've got to go there. You see, making disciples is not merely about getting someone across a spiritual line. It's about relationships. It's about deepening and strengthening our relationships with Jesus and with each other. He was a guy who just said, who said, hey, Christianity is personal, but it's not private. Time to publicly identify with Jesus. And he said, you, you need to get baptized. So I got baptized in the CYC Dam in Back Creek, Yakandanda. So Tim, like you're talking about that water down there, this, the water in the CY Creek, CYC Creek Dam, is, it's filled with things that can kill you. So yeah, we, that's how we went. Then along came another man, Dave West. He had a real heart for the gospel and for that that gospel would be put into the hearts of other people. And he grabbed me and said, hey, let's talk about how to, how to make Jesus known. Like, you know Jesus? How do we go and make him known? How do, we, how do we become disciples ourselves? How do we reproduce this faith in other people? And he sat with me and we discussed it and we talked about it. There is this cast of people around me just pouring sound doctrine and practice into my heart and teaching me about Jesus. Who he is and how to live a life that follows him. They've not treated me like a statistic or an event, but compelled by the love of Christ, compelled by their own experience of God's grace, want to see me grow in that as well. And no longer view me according to the flesh, but according to being a brother and a sister in Christ. I ask you, is there any greater adventure or epic drama that you could be involved in than to be an ambassador for God's saving work in a person's life? This is the essence of the motive for multiplication. It is how God has chosen to call people, to reconcile people back to himself, one person at a time, calling them into the great drama of human history and eternal relationship with him through relationships that we start. I'd be pretty confident that that's how most of us came into the faith. Maybe it was through the testimony and the witness of a parent, a friend, a pastor, a church, people though were involved in you growing and coming to faith. There were people multiplying their faith in you. The Apostle Paul captures this in this second letter to Corinthians that we read this morning. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God. It's the work of God 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So there's the hero, Jesus. And we are the, 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 the um, what was that word I used? The participants in it. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, didn't pour his wrath out straight away, even though we were rebels, but set a plan in motion to reconcile them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We, we implore you, we, we work with you, we labor, we toil, we sit and have coffee. We implore you, be reconciled with Christ. That's the mission. How? How is someone reconciled to Christ? For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That was how. God took all the messed up, rebellious, um, just putridness of your life and placed it on Christ. He said, you... You understand that you you regard Christ now as the one who has paid the penalty for your sin. Then you you receive the life that is within Him, and 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 then what's the transformation? Well, we live out lives of righteousness, and that means we're back in right relationships with people. We're back in right relationships with God. We're back in right relationships with people. We now no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. We regard them as what could they be with Christ. We regard them as, oh, there's my brother and sister. You understand? We don't judge. Oh, look, there goes the junkie. Uh, There goes uh, whatever labels we want to put on people. That's not how we regard people anymore. Paul is talking about the Christian life pressed back out into Chelsea and Bond Beach and Frankston and parked our Mordialic and Mentone. Our lives of ambassadors becoming involved in what God is doing in our world. It's about taking the story of Jesus and depositing it in the hearts of others, multiplying your faith into those lives of those around you. You are just simply sharing your story, your experience, the beauty and the grandeur of a life now lived in relationship with God. And when someone says, yeah, really? Like, really? You go, hey, look, read, read this. This is, where, this, is the, this is the guarantee. This is the truth. It's not abstract. Not making this up. Jesus says, as you go, reproduce your faith in others. Paul calls it the work of an ambassador on behalf of Jesus. One thing is certain. It was not a suggestion. It was a command. In our passage from Matthew and Matthew's gospel, the verb make disciples holds the strongest force in the passage. It's where the energy's coming from. It's like if you're a Christian, not oh, I'll go and try and be a disciple. No, you are a discipler. You don't need a degree. You don't need to be specially gifted. No one in my story was. Single mum, a, a farmer, builder. A student, an ex World War One, World War Two, World War Two veteran, bricklayer, youth worker, electronics engineer from Ramey. All they did was share their personal relationship with Jesus and push me back into the Word of God. 
wasn't slick words or fancy presentations, making sure they got every sentence right. It was, as Paul summarizes, the fear of the Lord. What's this fear of the Lord? That is to say that we know it's better to face Jesus as your saviour than as your judge, the one who will appropriately bring the wrath of God to bear on your life. That is the fear of the Lord in the context of this passage because it's in the context of judgment. You read the fear of the Lord in other places and it's about the awe, the majesty. And the love of Christ. That is, we have experienced the love of God for a sinner in Jesus. What a life no longer enslaved to sin is like. What a life no longer crushed in shame and insecurity is like. We know. I say it all the time. We realize that we are far worse, far more ugly, far more unlovable than we ever dare imagine. But in Christ, we realize that we are far more loved than we ever dare dream. We have been moved from regarding Jesus as an enemy, as a myth, as just this figure of history, to the grace of God poured out in our lives. Poured out to make sinners a new creation worthy of the kingdom of God. And and we have been moved to regard others no longer according to the flesh, but as broken people in need of a saviour and understanding that we are the instruments in the hands of the Redeemer who bring this narrative, this story of reconciliation. Is there any greater epic drama to give your life to? To spend your time preparing for to To just be immersing your heart and your soul in the word of God. The mission of multiplication, of pouring the story of Jesus into the hearts of others. Who knows who God has placed in your street, in your workplace, at your sporting club. I am your pastor because some pretty insignificant people obeyed this command. 